Well, we are so thrilled to be back with you. I think this is our third trip now, third trip to Red Deer, and uh, I think it's the third of many more to come. We absolutely love you guys, love what's going on in this place, love what's going on in this church family, and there is a real sense of momentum. I know sometimes when you're right in the middle of it, it can be more difficult to feel that, but take it from somebody who hasn't been here in a year or so, kind of like a a relative coming into town who's seeing the kids for the first time in a year. Wow, look how they've grown, you know, and sometimes you don't see it when you're right up next to it, but uh, we see it and maybe you see it too. Maybe you can sense it, but God is doing something special in this family, through this family. I'm talking about this church as a family, the household of faith. Man, I love what the Lord ministered through Sarah this morning. I just want to echo that and come into agreement with that. The household of faith. He's given you guys a voice to the house of faith. Did you bring a Bible with you today? Let's go together again to the book of 3 John. And if um, you haven't been with us, I hope to make these messages available. Are they available? What's the best way to get a hold of them? Online impactlife.ca. Get a hold of these messages because I believe the Lord has said some pretty unique things, a lot of which um, I'd never really said before. Uh, Just some stuff he's been working with us on. And man, I think it came out in exactly the right way. And I think the Lord deserves all the glory and praise for it. But we're going to finish strong today. In 3 John, just one chapter here, look at verse 1. We'll read the first couple of verses. It says, The elder... That's who's writing this. This is the voice of an elder speaking here. You've been told to listen to your elders? Well, it's good advice. Listen to the elder here. Listen to the elder, John, who's writing to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. He said, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. That is the voice of an elder speaking to somebody younger in the faith. Beloved, I pray above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Now, one thing I love about our elders is after the life they've lived, they know what's really valuable. They can tell you what's truly worth something. And as he's writing to him here, he's talking to him about the way his soul is prospering. And the reason he knows his soul is prospering, you see it in the next couple of verses. I rejoice greatly when your brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. Just as you walk in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. In other words, he's saying, man, I found out that somebody came to you, preached the word to you, and you received it as truth. It got in you. It's one thing for this word to fall on your ears, but it's another thing entirely for it to get in you. And that's what we want. That's what we're after is the word of God getting in us, taking root in us, sprouting up in us, filling us, overflowing out of us. And that's the prayer he's praying. He's saying, I'm praying that the prosperity I see taking place in your soul will begin to come out. That you would prosper in all things, even as your soul is prospering. Now, let me just say again, this is the voice of an elder. This is the voice of wisdom speaking. And it takes a mature voice to help you and I recognize that prosperity is way more than just stuff and things and material wealth. Sometimes it takes the voice of an elder and the voice of wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. Wisdom. It takes the voice of wisdom in our lives to help us recognize, yeah, the material blessing, those things are wonderful. The financial things, the the natural things, those things are great and they are included in all things. But what's most valuable is the prosperity of your soul. And in God, this is all stuff we've established, but let me remind you, in God, all things happen from the inside out. Not the outside in and not the outside out on. That's how the world lives, from the outside in, from the outside on, putting prosperity on, putting wealth on. And there are a number of ways that you and I or anybody can get rich. But only one of them has to do 
with God. And it's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. Oh, sorry. I just felt the music there. I was feeling the beat for a second. I can't help myself. Is that children's church? Can I go? Is that... Sounds like a lot of fun. Jeez. The blessing of the Lord. <laughs> How long are they going to do that? Because it sounds awesome. Okay. Like a rave going on down there. Somebody say the blessing, the blessing. of the Lord. Lord. It makes rich. Say it. It makes what? Rich. It makes, huh? Rich. It makes, come again now? Rich. rich. Notice we're not being subtle about this. We're not being sneaky about this. We're being bold about this. Because the word is bold about it. The blessing of the Lord, it makes rich, but it adds no sorrow to it. That's what's so characteristic about the blessing of the Lord. And that's what makes it different than any other way of becoming wealthy. Because any other way, you can add a bunch of stuff to you, but in it somewhere, there will be toil, there will be sorrow, there will be loss of some kind. You, I can guarantee it, but the blessing of the Lord, it makes rich with no sorrow, with no toil, with no loss added to it. Glory to God. And that's what we're after. But to do that, it's going to have to come from the inside out, from your soul prospering. Our elder is praying for us here that we would prosper in all things and that we would be in health even as our soul is prospering. So that's what we've been focused on for the last couple of days is the prosperity of the soul and letting the word define to us what's truly valuable, what's truly worth something. You may remember we talked about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, you know, when I was a child... I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I understood like a child. He said, but when I became a man, how many of you remember this? When I became a man, when I grew up, I put away childish things. Some of these things, some of these childish ways of thinking, childish ways of speaking, childish ways of understanding, some of these things have to be put away. Some you grow out of, and I thank God for, but some things just have to be put away. Because if they're not put away, they hang around with you for a long time. And things that were cute when you were a kid are not cute now. I mean, childish concepts, childish, like we said, ways of thinking and speaking. My dad, my dad is the, the historian in our home. He is the the purveyor of, of, the, of the history of our family. And he's so organized with it. I mean, he can pull out childhood videos and movies. And anytime family gathering, somebody brings up a memory, he's like, oh, I know where that video is. Oh, I can go get that. Like, no, that's not what we're asking for. But he's got this great video of me and the first time I was learning to ride a bike without training wheels. And my dad, you got to understand something about my dad. He's very creative, artistic, musician. And it wasn't enough just to turn the video camera on and I ride. This had to be like a Martin Scorsese uh, directed cinematography, you know, that whole bit. So he's not just going to, like I said, turn the camera on. This was back in the day when the camera had this microphone attached to it. So he's got the camera, the camera on. The mic's in my hand. And he's... He's interviewing me with what's about to take place. And of course, I played right into it. I mean, that was my thing for sure. I loved it. My mom used to tease my dad and say, this is your little toy. You just played with this kid like he was like a puppet or something. But I'm standing there, and of course, you can see the video. And I'm like, sir, please show the people around. I had a really thick southern accent as a kid. Show the people around. This is where I will be riding my bike today without training wheels. We were watching this video one time, and I made a statement as a kid that really stood out to me. And you've probably heard kids say it, and you said it yourself when you were a child. But I told, you know, the viewing audience, 
today I will be doing this without anybody helping me. I can do this on my own. I don't need any help. I don't need any help. I don't need any help. It's cute, right? As a kid, look what I can do on my own. You're learning to tie your shoes. Baby, let me help you with that. No, no, I can do it. I can do it. You know, and 27 knots later, it's, look how well you've done on your own. But that whole idea of I can do this on my own, it's real cute when you're four. It's not so cute at 44. It's not so cute at 64. Still rejecting and refusing help. It's prideful. Jesus told his disciples, you boys need help. That's why I'm sending to you the helper. What's he going to do? Help you. You need help. Somebody say, I need help. But you know what? If you never put away that childish mentality of I can do this on my own, if you don't put that thing away, it'll hang with you forever and ever and ever. And that same principle applies when it comes to how we think and how we process prosperity and increase. We have to let the Word of God renew our minds to what is truly valuable. And it's like I told you the other day, I told my little girl, Jessie, uh, if she would do something for me, I don't remember what it was, I said, if you'll do this for Daddy, I'll either give you a sucker or a thousand dollars. And I'll let you pick. Which do you want, a sucker or a thousand dollars? And she said, sucker. Without even thinking about it. Why? Because that sucker's way more valuable to her than $1,000. She hadn't learned. Someday soon, though, I can guarantee you. I can guarantee you I will not be making that offer so readily available. If, if all they ever wanted was suckers, parents, wouldn't that be great? If that's all you ever had to give them. But the value system changes. As you mature, what is valuable to you changes. Well, as you mature in God, as you mature in your walk with the Lord, what's valuable to you changes and it should change into what he says is valuable. That's why we looked at all those scriptures from the book of Proverbs that say it's better. It's better to have a little with quietness than a house full of feasting and strife. It's better, he said, to have a, what was it, a bowl of herbs where love is than, than fatted calf with hatred. He's saying, I'd rather have a salad with somebody who loves me than a steak with somebody who hates me. Isn't that interesting? That the, that the Bible can be so practical as to approach and help us approach what we truly call valuable. And there's got to be a maturing that takes place if we're going to prosper in God. And I mean in God. Prosper the way He wants us to prosper. It's going to have to happen from the inside out. Amen? So let's go on in this. Of course, we haven't said everything there is to say about it, but um, I believe the Lord's directing us in it. Let's go on in it today. Go with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. You know, if you've got kids, especially little ones still, if you'll just observe their lives, they will teach you more about God than any preacher ever could. And, and, and maybe that's not a totally accurate statement. But what I'm telling you is they are such little demonstrations. God puts them in our lives to show us, ourselves, to Him. Yeah. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've told my kids, I wish you'd do this or do this for Daddy. And I just hear it come right back at me. Yeah, well, you do this. I wish you'd do this for Daddy. <laughs> how many times? And I'll get into some of that today. I've got a couple of stories for you from, that I've learned from my kids that I think are going to be a blessing to you. Second Corinthians, look at chapter 6. Talking about our souls prospering. Paul writing here in this letter to this church in Corinth, he says in verse 11, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. Everybody say wide open. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, notice this here, I speak as to children, 
you also be open. So he's comparing their hearts with his. And he said, our heart towards you is what? what did it, how did he describe it? Wide open. Everybody say it again. Wide open. I think it's the King James Bible that talks about their heart being enlarged. In comparison to the folks he was writing to, he said, your heart is restricted. It's narrow. The King James says straightened. Now don't think about that straightened as in a straight line. It's spelled differently. It's S-T-R-A-I-T-E-N-E-D. Straightened. As in straights, this will be more significant to us in a moment, but are you familiar with the concept of a straight jacket? Hopefully not too familiar, but you know what I'm, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. A straight jacket, S-T-R-A-I-T, that's, that is something that is put on an individual with the purpose of restricting their movement, restricting mobility. Taking away freedom. That's what that thing is put on them for. And he uses that word to describe these people's hearts. Now remember, we're talking about everything in God happening from the inside out. So you've got a couple of different heart conditions here. And every one of us are living with a heart condition. One heart condition is wide open, enlarged. The other is straightened, restricted, and narrow. And I want you to begin, we're going to see this in Scripture, but I want you to begin to associate these words, this concept of being open and enlarged. I want you to begin to associate that with prosperity because that's what prosperity is. Right on the other hand, I want you to associate this concept of being restricted and tight and narrow. That is poverty. I mean, you think about somebody who lives in such abject poverty, they don't have anything, so they can't do anything. They can't, they couldn't give if they wanted to. They couldn't buy if they wanted to. Their mobility, their movement has been restricted. They're not free. I want you to associate prosperity with freedom and poverty with prison. Restriction, And I'm going to show that to you in Scripture. Are you believing God with me this morning? A lot of this is pretty new to me. I'm excited about it. Go with me to the book of Psalms. We're going to look at several Scriptures in the book of Psalms today. Well, you find Psalms. You find Psalm... How about this? Let's start in Psalm... Thank you, Lord. Start in Psalm 118. Let me read something to you from somewhere else. Philippians. <laughs> Just letting the Lord talk to me right now and find our way through this. Somebody say, help him, Lord. <laughs> Thanks, that sounded real convincing. <laughs> I'm going to read something to you Paul said in the book of Philippians. Chapter 4, you don't have to turn there, but this is a a letter that he wrote in response to an offering that came to him from a church that had partnered with him. And he said to these people in verse 10 of Philippians 4, you can make note of this if you want, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though surely you did care, but you lacked opportunity, not that I speak in regard to need, For I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. To be abased means to come short, to be lacking. To be abased means to have more month than money. Anybody ever been there before? But to abound, we talked about last night. Who remembers what word we used? Excess. Excess. That's the kind of life Jesus said he came to give, to give life and life more abundantly. The exact same word there used from Jesus is the word Paul used. I know how to to abound, to live with not just enough, but more than enough. 
I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. How do you do that, Paul? What's your secret? Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Is that surprising to anybody to find out that scripture you've been quoting since you were a little kid? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Does that surprise you to find out that was written in the context of prosperity? Of learning how to prosper in God financially. This is all about financial prosperity. And in verse 14, he said, nevertheless, you've done well that you shared in my distress. This is the reason I bring this verse up, because Paul uses this word distress. And again, don't forget, don't lose sight of the fact he's talking about a financial situation. These people sent him a financial offering, and he's writing to them in response to that. And he said, you did well to share with me in my distress. You know what the word distress means? If you look it up, it means straits. S-T-R-A-I-T-S. Straits. The exact same thing I was just talking to you about a moment ago. Restricted, tight, narrow, straight. It means, just like I said, tight. You ever been there financially where things have just been tight? Don't we use that word at times to describe our financial situations? Things are a little bit tight right now. What are you saying? There's not a lot of freedom. There may not be a lot of freedom to just go do some things I wish I could go do. There may not be a lot of freedom to go buy some things that we really need to buy. Why? Because things are tight right now. And Paul said, you did well to share with me when things were tight. I was in distress. Now, there was a key that he revealed to us here. And did you hear what he said a moment ago? Not that I speak in regard to need. He is telling us what he was talking about was the know-how to be abased and I know how to abound. There's some know-how that you and I have got to increase in when it comes to prospering in God. There is some necessary know-how. And Paul's saying, I know how to do this. And the long and the short of it is you do them both by faith, whether you're abased or you're abounding. How do you do it? You do them both by faith. If you're abased, you do it by faith, believing I can come out of it. If you're abounding, you, you, you abound by faith, believing that God has not only brought you this, but can bring you more and make you a big blessing to the people around you. You do them both by faith. But he revealed a big key here when he said, not that I speak in regard to need. We're going to start taking an assessment this morning about what condition our heart is in. And a narrow, constricted, restricted heart is one that is constantly speaking about the need. How much talking are you doing about what you don't have? Start taking inventory in that. Husbands, wives, help each other with this. And I said, help, not annoy. <laughs> help. Help each other with this. How much talking are we doing with one another about what we don't have? About what we wish we had. What we don't have in our finances. What we don't have in our family. What we don't have in our business. What we don't have in our ministry. How much talking are you doing about that? Because what you need to understand is the spiritual principle at play here is what you talk about, you magnify. What you talk about, you magnify. Now, if I were to ask you what happens when you magnify something, you would probably tell me it gets bigger. But let me ask you, does it really? If I magnify the words on, this, on the page of these scriptures, this Bible, do they actually get bigger? Or do they just get bigger to you. Now you haven't actually made anything bigger, but when you magnify it, it just gets bigger in your eyes. So when you're magnifying the need and when you're magnifying what you don't have, the need is not actually getting bigger. It's just getting bigger to you. And the more you talk about it, the more you magnify it. The more you talk about it, the more you magnify it. And the more you think about it, the more you talk about it. And the more you talk about it, the more you magnify it. And in your eyes, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And you can magnify something to the point where it is all you can see. 
where it takes up the field of vision so much that there is no room for anything else. That's the danger of talking the need all the time. Now, I'm not talking about living, you know, blind to something. If you need something, I'm not saying never acknowledge the presence of the need, but I am telling you, guard how much time you spend giving words to it and magnifying it. How much time you spend thinking about it. Is it on your mind when you get up? Are you carrying the need without you, with, with you throughout the day? Are you going to bed with the need on your mind? Because if you are, you're magnifying it. And the thing is, that need is still the same small thing that it's always been. But the more you talk about it, the more you magnify it. But what did David say? What did the psalmist say? Come, magnify the Lord and do it with me. That's what we should be doing, husbands, wives. Not magnifying the need together, magnifying the Lord together. Magnifying the one who provides for the need. I'm not trying to ignore that there's a need. I'm just trying to magnify that there's a God who will meet it. That's what should be in our hearts coming out of our mouths all the time. And that's where we can help each other. And when the need starts coming out of your mouths, guys, listen. Listen to the Lord start speaking to you through her. Yeah, honey, I know we've got that need, but guess what else we've got? We've got a God who's bigger than that. We've got a Jesus who has made everything available to us, and we have got his word to stand on. And you're going to have to choose, men, right then. Humble yourself. Don't get annoyed by that. Don't get frustrated by that. But be corrected and say, you know what? You're right. I thank God for a godly woman who will remind me of who we are in Christ Jesus. And the same thing applies the other way. Ladies, if it starts becoming a burden to you, the financial pressure, the financial need, the financial worry, and it's coming out of your mouth, you let the head of your house speak to you on behalf of God and say, listen to me, you and I have made it this far by the grace of God, and by the grace of God, we are going to make it all the way through. He's never one time let us down, and he's not about to fail us now. He does not change. He will not quit. He cannot fail. Love never fails. We're not going to come short. We won't run out. We're going to run over. We're going to run over in Jesus' name. And when that fear of running out starts coming up, you give voice to faith that says, we're not running out, we're running over. We're not running out, we're running over. Baby, are we going to have enough to meet the need? No. We're going to have more than enough to meet the need. Paul is saying here, you did well to share with me in my financial tightness. Let me just throw this in right here. Would you be willing to allow the Lord to use you to share in somebody else's tight time? Because a tight, restricted heart, a narrow heart, is unwilling to get involved with somebody else's tightness. But an open heart, a heart that's wide open to God and whatever He would say, whatever He'd tell you to do, He can speak to somebody with an open heart and say, Hey, I need you to walk across the room and put a $10 bill, put a 20 in that person's hands. Lord, that's the only thing I got in there. That's the only thing I asked for. (laughs) Can he use you? Are you wide open enough to let him use you to do that? Because what you may not know is in that moment, you might be coming in between that person and the pressure that's been on them all day and night. And even just for a moment, you step in there as a relief to that pressure. You have no idea what that can do for somebody. For some, pe- for some people, it might go as far as to prove the existence of God. God, if you're real, I need you to send somebody to me today to help me put gas in my car because I don't have enough to make it home. If you're real, would you do that? And just because you had an open heart, a heart wide open and willing, You went over and you put a few dollars that seemed insignificant to you, but you put a few dollars in their hand, and in a moment of time, you proved the existence of God Almighty. Wow. You didn't know you could do that. You don't even have a degree in 
science or theology or any of that. You just had 10 bucks. And you proved the love of God to somebody. That's why Paul wrote to him and said, I'm so thankful that you took the opportunity. That's what increase in your life is. It's opportunity. The more income coming into you, the more opportunity it has to get out to somebody else. Opportunity. I wanted you to see this concept, though, of, of a tight financial time. Where did I have you go? Psalm what now? 118? Okay, that'll work. Psalm 118. <clears throat> and listen to what the psalmist said in verse 5. He said, I called on the Lord in distress. Now, this word distress was originally written in Hebrew. The other one we just looked at from Paul was originally written in Greek. But guess what? They mean the exact same thing. You look them up and they both mean straits. Tight. And David said, I called on the Lord when it was tight. I called on the Lord when I was in distress. What a picture that is of pressure. Pressure of any kind comes against you and you feel it the most when it's its closest around you and you feel like there's no good step that you could take and you feel like if you went this way it'd be wrong, if you went that way it'd be wrong and it's just closing in around you. And it's tight. It's a tight way to live. But if things are tight outwardly, it's time to start taking an assessment of how they are inside. Am I living tight on the inside? And David reveals a real key to coming out of this when he says, I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me. And what happened? He set me in a broad place. What is that? That's a wide and roomy place. Remember I told you I want you to start associating this kind of concept with prosperity? This is what prosperity is. If poverty is tightness, restrictedness, if poverty is living in that straight jacket financially, then prosperity is living in a broad place, a large place, a wide and roomy place. How many of you prefer to have a little space around you? Yeah, I do. Absolutely I do. But David gave us a key to living in that place when he said, I called on the Lord in distress. You know, it matters who you call on. It matters who you call on. Because whoever you call on, you are immediately limited to what they can do for you. Whoever you go to as your source... You're limited to them as your source. And David said, I called on the Lord. Now, it would be very easy, and, it's, and many of us get in the habit of calling on mom, calling on dad, calling on pastor, calling on the church, calling on your employer. When things get tight, you're looking for somebody out here. Who can I go to? Who can I ask for help from? Who can I depend on? And you just start looking around you. But you know what? That's what people do who aren't even aware of the goodness of God. All they know to do is go to a bank. All they know to do is go to somebody who's got some more than they've got and hope that they can talk a little bit of what they've got out of their pocket into their own. And what you've got to really be watchful over, especially in the church and especially as believers who are a part of a family, you've got to be so watchful that you don't start looking to somebody else other than God as your source. And we do this, we slide into this sometimes without realizing it, sometimes it's on purpose, but sometimes we just start giving voice to that need. Remember talking about how much you're talking about the need? You think, well, if I get around this person and I kind of talk about what I don't have a little bit, maybe I, can, maybe I can convince them to help me out. And if you're not watchful over that, you'll find that you start manipulating people. And there are not just congregation members that do that to each other. There are pastors and preachers 
that have gotten really good at talking the need in such a way that it pulls on their people emotionally and it pulls on their soul to meet their need. And I'm going to tell you the big problem with manipulation, the big problem with depending on somebody else as your source. The big problem with it is it works. It works. You can actually end up getting what you think you need. And that's why people do it. That's why people take the pulpit and feel the need to put pressure on a congregation. If you don't do this, if you don't give, we're going under. If you don't give, we're going to lose this. If you don't, then we can't. What is that? It's pressure. It's putting obligation on people. And what did Jamie just read to us earlier today? God loves a cheerful giver. Not somebody who's obligated to do it and not somebody who pressure has been applied to. I'll go as far as to say this. If you're ever sitting, sitting in a meeting where somebody from the pulpit is putting pressure on you to give, keep it. Just keep it. Because you cannot, you cannot give with your heart while pressure is being applied. Doesn't work. You're doing nothing more than paying a bill. You can't put heart in it if pressure's being applied to you for it. And that's the big problem with manipulation. And you think, why would somebody do that? One reason, fear. Fear that if I don't get it from you, I'm not going to get it. And the big problem, like I said, is it works. It works. Because a lot of times the people who are having pressure applied to them aren't spiritually aware enough to realize what's going on and guilt and condemnation sets in and they think, man, if I don't do this, then I'm a bad Christian or a bad person and they feel obligated to give and it works. But the problem is when that pastor goes to the congregation for the source, he is then and forever limited to them and what they can do for him. That's the cap right there. That's the limit right there. I've been blessed all my lifetime to grow up with a grandfather and a grandmother who God has richly, richly, richly blessed. I mean, I have a rich grandfather. Anybody else in here got a rich grandfather? Man, you got to get one of those. If you don't have... If you don't have one of those, you have got to get one. They are awesome. Let me tell you. We're laughing about it, but I'm bold to tell you that, that God has so blessed my grandparents and they have so, so been a rich blessing to me, to my wife, to all my cousins, to all our family, and to millions of people all over the world. Man, I have sat in that man's presence on more than one occasion while he was on the phone and saying, give 50000 to this one, give 100000 to this one. And it just flows out of him. I just think that is so awesome. So awesome. And he has so richly blessed us and given to us and given to us and given to us. And you know what? It would be very, very easy for me to pick up the phone when a need arises in our ministry and when things are a little tighter than what I'm comfortable with. It would be so easy to pick up the phone and call Papa. And I wouldn't even have to say, Papa, can I have some money? I could say, Papa. <laughs> <laughs> Watch this now. I can say, Papa, would you be in agreement with me? Would you, would you and Mimi just come into agreement with me and Sarah? We're facing some really big needs right now. Now, I would have to really check my heart. And you know, for that reason... I've made the decision. I do not call and ask him that. I don't. I trust that I have his agreement. I trust that he's in agreement with me. And he's proven it to me through his partnership. 
But I have to guard against that in my life. I have, to guard, I have to guard my heart against that. Because as rich as he is, if I go to him, I'm immediately limited to what Papa can do for me. And, and even though he might be able to get me out of whatever tight time I'm in at the moment, what he can do for me doesn't even begin to compare to what my heavenly father can do and wants to do for me. And will do if I'll call him instead. Do you know how much your father loves it when you call him and don't call anybody else? (laughs) Or you call him first before you go to anyone or anything else? Father, I'm coming to you. I'm calling on you in distress. It's tight and you know it's tight. But I'm calling on you. David said, I called on the Lord in distress He heard me, he delivered me, and he set me in a broad place, in a wide and roomy place. Just because he called him. Just because he called him. Look at Psalm 18. You're in 118. Go to Psalm 18. Let me show this to you again. David said in verse 3, I will call on the Lord, not my rich grandfather, not my pastor, not the banker. I call on the Lord who's worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The pangs of death surrounded me. There's that picture again of tightness and pressure and the walls closing in on you. The floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows, that means the cords. The sorrows of Sheol. In other words, literally the cords of hell. Hell itself had its cords, its ropes wrapped around me. What a picture of tightness that is. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, there's the word again, I called on Papa. No, I called On the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple. My cry came before him, even to his ears. Now, if we had time, we'd read this almost this entire chapter because you see what happens immediately after David calls on him. It starts talking to us about how the earth itself began to shake and how God came down clothed in thick clouds of darkness and lightning shot out of him and his voice thundered and he shot his arrows and he scattered the enemy and the channels of the sea were seen and were uncovered and the hills melted. This is God going to work on behalf of somebody who was in distress and chose to call on him before they called anybody else. God gets angry at what's keeping you tight. That's good news. But all of it ends like this in verse, well, look at verse 16. He sent from above. He took me And he drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me out into a broad place. Into a broad place. So notice there, God delivered him out of something and into something else. That's what we talked about yesterday. That's what our good shepherd does. He calls us by name and he leads us out. But he never leads you out of one thing without leading you into something else. And here he led him out of distress, out of tightness, out of restriction, and into a broad place. Why did he do that for you, David? He delivered me because he delighted in me. Isn't that good news? Why did he do that for you? Because of the way you perform, because of how perfect you are and all all the things that you do, because of the way you dot your I's and cross your T's and the way you're just perfect in in everything you say. No, 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 no. He delivers you. Why? Because He delights in you. He delights in you. And there's nothing that delights Him more than faith. It pleases Him. It pleases Him. 
right when you are in distress, when faith starts coming out of your mouth, when you stop talking lack and start talking overflow, and you start saying these little things, we're not running out, we're running over. He loves it. Oh, that just makes him smile. And he delivers you for one reason. He delights in you. He delights in you. Thank you, Lord. Somebody say, he delights in me. Say, he likes me. He really, really likes me. You're in Psalms. Go now to chapter 66. He said in verse 12, you've caused men to ride over our heads. We went through the fire, through the water, but you brought us out to a wealthy place. The New King James says you brought us out to rich fulfillment. Somebody say he's bringing me out. This is what needs to be in your mouth all the time. Because the more you say it, the bigger your heart gets, the wider your heart gets. You are enlarging your capacity to receive from Him. The more you talk about this, He's bringing us out. He's bringing us out. He's bringing us out of tightness. He's bringing us out of not enough. He's bringing us out and bringing us in to a wide place, a roomy place. You're in 66, turn over to 68. I'm just showing you things, these things in the Word over and over and over. I want you to see how often they come up. I want you to be convinced, more convinced today when you leave this place than you've ever been before. God's will for me is prosperity. God's will for me is prosperity. In chapter 68, verse 6, it says, God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. That's the New King James Version. He brings out those who are bound. There's that concept of poverty again. I'm telling you, poverty is prison. It's restriction. And that's why God hates it. We love the poor, but we hate poverty. We love poor people, but we hate poverty. Because God hates it. It's restriction. It's being tied up. It's like David said, the cords of hell were wrapped around me. God hates it. And so what's he going to do about it? He sets the solitary in a family and brings out those who are bound. And what's he do with them? He brings them into prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. That word rebellious, you know what it means? Stubborn. What kind of issue is this? This is a soul issue. This is a heart issue. You know, narrow restricted, tiny little hearts like to be alone. Why? No room for anybody else in there. Just me, my wants, my desires, my things. That's characteristic of a narrow heart. Rebellious, stubborn. Now what is it they're being rebellious to here? The plan of God is to take the solitary, the one who is alone, The plan of God is to take that one and to put them in a family where you're not alone. And evidently, you being in the family he put you in has everything to do with you prospering. Because when he brought you out of solitude and put you in a family, at the same time, he delivered you. When you were bound, what were you bound up? You just bound up in yourself. Just, just totally wrapped up in yourself. He delivered you out of that and brought you into prosperity. But the rebellious, people who rebel against being in the family God put them in, who are stubborn, hard-hearted, stiff-necked, I don't want to be a part of a family. I don't want to be a part of a plan. I just want to be by myself. Just leave me alone. Living with that tight, narrow, restricted heart. The Bible says they dwell in a dry land. And you know what's indicative of a dry land? No fruit, no abundance, no produce. 
dwelling out there by yourself, and there is no prosperity in that. Your prosperity has everything to do with you being in the family God put you in. And if God put you in this family, this impact life, church family, then your prosperity is here. This is your wealthy place. And when I say wealthy, I'm talking to you about wealth from the inside out. Praise God. This is your wealthy place. If God puts you here, this is your wealthy place. I'm going to charge you today. Don't let anything drag you out of this place. Don't let anything pull you or disconnect you from the family he puts you in. That is a stubborn and rebellious way to live. And it's so characteristic of immature little kids. Just, I don't want to. I don't want to play with others. I'm going to play by myself. It's such a characteristic of immaturity. But a mature believer, a truly spiritual person, knows that they have a place in a family. And they recognize that God has put them in a family for two reasons. Number one, that place has something they need. You're here, and if God puts you here, you're here because this place, this family, has something that you need. And it takes humility to acknowledge that you don't have it all. (laughs) It takes maturity to acknowledge, hey, I don't have it all. I need to go plug into this place. I need to be there more than once a month, more than twice a month. I need to be an above average believer and put my little self in that seat week in and week out and listen to the word of God that's coming to me from a pastor who spent time in the presence of God, finding out answers to the questions I have. I need to go get in that place. That place has something that I need. But you're in this place with the recognition of two things. Number one, the place has something you need. But number two, the place needs something you have. And without you in it, there's a void. And this place will prosper when you're in your right place. This will be your wealthy place when you're here. And when the rest of the family that's called in here, this place is your wealthy place. Now I'll make this last statement to you, and the Lord spoke this to me this morning getting ready, and And it really, to me, it brought it all together. And I think it's going to help make sense to you. Now, before I give that to you, I'll just tell you a story the way the Lord kind of showed it to me. Um, I mentioned to you, we're getting ready to move into a new house. As a matter of fact, as soon as we get home from this trip, we start this week packing up. And potentially by the end of this week, we'll be in our new house. Now, this house, like I told you last night, is a house that we've been looking at now for over a year. Sarah called me May 1st a year ago. I was in another state ministering and she started talking to me about this house. And man, it had really gone off on the inside of her. And we prayed about it together and we went before the Lord about it. And it just really seemed like it was our place. And I'm going to be honest with you, it is definitely a step up from anything we've ever lived in. It might be two steps up. I mean, this is, it's a beautiful place. It's on some land. It is a gorgeous place. And um, before we had talked to the kids about it, Sarah sat down with Justice, our oldest. I think he was six at the time she did this. He's seven now. She said, Justice, I want you to make a vision list. And I want you to write down the kind of house that you think God wants us to have. What's your vision of a house? And it wasn't just to make a list. She told him to draw it. Draw the house, buddy. And so he went to work on it, and he started drawing. He considers himself to be a professional artist, and he started drawing. (laughs) And he got a huge piece of paper, like that butcher paper, you know, and he draws this whole thing out on there. And he comes back to us, and this whole thing is drawn out. And he says, okay, I want a house, and I want it to have a pool. And I want the house to have a lot of land. And I want to have a driveway that does like this. And then he starts going on from there. You know, some of this stuff's like, okay, okay. But then he said, I want a go-kart track. (laughs) Okay, a go-kart track. I want a go-kart track. 
and I want a soccer field, not a soccer goal. I want a soccer field, and he's drawn this soccer field on this huge space of land that he's believing for. And both Sarah and I are listening to him tell us about this house, this vision house. And we're, we're both kind of like, okay. And she even said she started to tell him, buddy, now hold on a second, but the Lord really arrested her. Just let him dream. Just let him dream. What's happening right now? Heart's getting bigger. So we kind of laughed about that. We saved the picture and put it up. And one night she and I were laying in bed, and we had only been to this house we're looking at. One time we'd gone at night to meet with the family, had dinner, and so on. She and I were laying in bed one night, and I was looking at the Google Earth view of the house. And it does sit on a little bit of land, and um, I zoomed in on it, and I'm looking at the yard and kind of looking at what's around it. I'm looking, and I zoom in, and I zoom in, and I zoom in. And in the backyard, on the back acre or more, there are two soccer goals. Not one, two. Spread apart from each other, set up just like a soccer field. And I said, Sarah, look at this, sweetheart. Are those what I think they are? Those are soccer goals. And man, the anointing just came all over us. We're thinking... This is amazing. We had no idea they were there. And the more we met with the family, come to find out the family has two boys. And you know what they love to do on that property? Ride go-karts all over it. And they had made this little track that went up the side of the property and they used to ride it back in the trees. Two boys, both of them had go-karts. And we met with the owners, and they said, if you guys want, we'll leave that go-kart. And it's still sitting on the property right now. This little six-year-old dreaming, just dreaming. And we are getting ready to step onto a place that's the broadest place we've ever stepped on before. And I'm going to be real honest with you. When we look at it, it's too much. It's too much. What are we going to do with all this? And I have to be honest because for a while I was thinking, man, we've been looking at this for a long time. What is the holdup? What is the holdup? What is the holdup? And finally, just in the last few days, I've kind of begun to think maybe I'm the holdup. Because as we've talked about it, I've done my best, you know, to stay in faith. But you know what I kind of got hung up on? The utilities. Because it does have a pool. And, you know, pools cost money. And it's, it's got several acres. And who's going to mow that? And the landscaping's beautiful. And who's going to take care of that? And what's the heating and the cooling bill and the water bill? Utilities. Meanwhile, my son, my six, seven-year-old son, is hearing from God on a level that I'm not on yet. And you know what the Lord spoke to me this morning? He said, Jeremy, if I can't get it in your heart, I can't get it in your hand. If I can't get it in your heart, there's no way I can get it in your hand. I wonder why this house has taken a year. Because I got hung up on utilities. It's, and I know there's been other factors and other delays and the family's building another house and they kind of had delays there. But, but for my own sake, the Lord's talking to me here. He said, come on, come up, come up, come up, come up. Just get this thing in your heart. Just get this in your heart. I'm trying to get something to you. Get it in your heart. And Sarah, this thing went off in her heart like day one. Day one, it got in her. And I've just been a little bit slower. But sometimes we are, aren't we, fellas? Just a little slower, but we get there. Because if he can get it in your heart, he can get it in your hand. What am I talking to you about? Vision. A prosperous soul. A wide open heart is one which God can just pour vision in. Somebody who's not going to get hung up on little things like utilities and little things like, oh, what's that going to cost? And how are we going to do that? And we don't have enough room for that. Just, 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 just stop, stop, stop. Just let him pour it in. 
Just let your heart get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And when the Lord starts pouring in and you start going, yeah, God, but what about the water bill? He's going to say, who restricted your heart? I didn't do it. Come on, stop. Open up, open up. That's what Paul said. I'm speaking to you like children. Open up. You ever said that to your child? Come on, open wide. Open wide. Why? Because of their tight lip. If you can't get it in the mouth, he can't get it in the belly. Well, if he can't get it in your heart, he can't get it in your hand. And if you're going to prosper God's way, it's going to take some time to get it in your heart. And in some ways, I'm thankful that I've had, that he's so graciously given me the last year to let this thing just grow in my heart and grow in me. And I told Sarah the last several times we've been over there checking on things that have been taking place in the house. And I said, every time I go, it gets in me a little more. It gets in me a little more. I'm starting to see it. I can see myself in it. I can see myself walking through the house now. I can see myself walking through the kitchen. I can see myself playing soccer with Justice in the backyard. I can see myself swimming in that pool. I can see myself laying out there beside it. I can see myself walking through that house. And I can see myself standing back there saying, God, you're too good. You're too good. This is too much. It's more than I need. It's more than I can use right now. My cup is overflowing. And he's getting it in my heart. Can he get it in your heart today? Would you allow him to get the vision in your heart? A narrow heart can't see. A narrow heart says two things. And I'll leave you with this. A narrow heart says it won't get better than it is right now. Whatever you've got right now, whatever you don't have right now, a narrow, restricted heart looks at that and says, it won't be better than this. And that's based on one thing and one thing only, your experience. Your experience, what you grew up with, what mom had, what dad had, what your family's always had, and you look at what you've got and say, it's just, it, it just won't get any better than this. But you must never let your experience limit your expectation. Yeah, you got to take the limits off. A narrow heart says it won't get better, but a narrow heart also says it can't get better. Maybe you look around and you like what you have. You like what you see. And then the Lord comes along one day and starts stretching you and saying, hey, would you leave this? Would you leave this for me? Would you leave this that you've been comfortable with? I know it's wonderful. I know it's grand. I know I gave it to you, but would you leave it? A narrow heart says, there's no way it could get better than this. There's no, there's no possible way it could get any better. But a wide open heart, a wide open heart could look at a mansion on a thousand acres and say, God can do even better than this. So open up your heart today. Will you open it up? Do you have anything you need to add to this? You do? All right. <laughs> Um, as, we, as you were talking about that, I kept thinking um, how it takes faith in the heart. It takes faith, a spirit of faith, to step out and to trust God. And I heard the Lord say this, and maybe he's asking you this question. When did you stop dreaming? And when did you stop trusting me? And sometimes you have to really look back and examine, because think about when you first heard uh, words of faith and the word on faith, and your heart just went off and exploded inside about, man, I can trust God for everything. I can trust him in anything, any situation. He's going to be faithful to me. But it takes a spirit of faith to step out when God says, go. It takes a spirit of faith to step out on nothing but the word of God. It takes a spirit of faith. You know, a spirit of faith, it has a spirit of adventure. It takes risk when others play it safe. Did you know without risk, there is no reward? And that's how faith is. You know, God meant for us to live life on the edge of our seats. Just ready to say, Lord... I'm going to take you at your word. 
I'm going to step out again. And you know what is so funny? You don't just step out one time in your life and that's it. How many times the moment you start to get comfortable in life, he will say to you, it's time to step out again. Will you follow me? Will you lay, will you leave it all? And will you follow me? And you know, the funniest thing is those can be the scariest moments in the natural, but they, if you'll just do it, it's the most exciting. It can be the most exciting time of your life. Just believe in God again. Just trust in God again. Just leaning, leaning on him for everything. Making him your source for everything. Without risk, there's no reward. And we are people that have a spirit of faith. We do things a little different, don't we, than other people? And man, without faith... It's impossible to please God. Don't you want to just please God with everything in you? Yeah. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Well, I just want to say to you guys one more time how much we love you, how much we appreciate you, believe in what God is doing in you. Joel, Jamie, we love you so much. You guys are precious friends to us. So thankful for you and thankful for you making this opportunity available to us. We love you. We love your family. Your great, big, tall family. We just <laughs> love you guys. It's so very precious to us. And uh, we look forward to next time. Amen. Amen. Joel.